Welcome to Kurt Vonnegut's A Special Minisode. And goodbye to the monkey house. Because it's <laughs> been burned it. to the ground. <laughs> I'm Alex Schmidt, and I'm here with Michael Swain. Hi, Alex. Hey, Michael. Good to see you again. It's good to see Great you, to too. Great to be here. If you heard our Monkey House episode, we said on that one, hey, we're going to save our From the Group segment that we had mm-hmm. started a few episodes ago. We're going to make that a mini-sode where we specifically deal with your thoughts and shares and feelings from social media and elsewhere. Which makes it not even a segment, I guess. If yeah. a segment expands to fill a whole episode, is it still a segment? Yeah, it's like it was an amoeba and it split. Yeah. You know, like it asexually... People need to know! The Monkey House episode asexually divided into Monkey House and this minisode. Yeah, so it's Monkey House Part 2, The Electric (laughs) Monkey. (laughs) The Electric Monkey. (laughs) So we're going to talk about things from all across the run of this that we haven't gotten to that are cool things you've told us about on Facebook. We're facebook.com slash Kurt Vonnegut. And on Twitter and Instagram, both of those were at Kurt Vonnegut. Yes, we're having such a thrilling, fantabulous blast ride into space doing this wonderful podcast with you people and reliving our favorite Kurt moments. And everyone's made all these great insights and uh, joined us in our sort of virtual book club. There were too many awesome things to not read some of them out loud. So please, if you haven't, if you like the podcast and you haven't, find us on all your social spaces. Come join us. Join us. (laughs) And yeah, and if you like the podcast, I'm going to unabashedly shill and say we're still trying to get the word out there next episode slaughterhouse five very quick read very popular yeah. hey tell a friend yeah you know like and subscribe us on itunes which i understand is very big for our ratings gets us up in the ratings yeah i'm told there's advanced algorithms I'm that told determine whether anyone will have heard of us and if you'd like to rate us and review us that would be wonderful yes a rating a review and now let's read from you yeah this is a quick first one. Uh, this is a Facebook message from our Vana So friends. unsettling not to have a segment introduction. I'm so, it feels <laughs> wrong. No, you're right. This is a segment called Getting Social. Getting Social. Hey, uh, should we do an icebreaker uh, game? Uh, no, I'd really prefer not to. Zip, zap, zap. Energy ball incoming. <laughs> Face burned. Scorched. That's, I, what a bad... Try to do an improv game and someone just is crushed under the weight it. of the energy ball. Does a nine-minute death monologue. Yeah. If you've never taken an improv class, I apologize. But I... Since I have taken them immediately, anytime there's an icebreaker game, my brain is like, oh, so we're doing improv exercises. Okay, yeah. got it. Ramp. <laughs> Big ears. Whatever. I right, forget right. most of them. Yeah. yeah, they're bonkers. So this is called Getting Social, which Let's is what we're going to do. And this, we got a message once from Jared Pereira, who said uh, that he likes that we have the related reading segment on all the episodes, but how do you find the list of the books and so on? And I then, also only picked ones that compliment us. Good job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You guys are probably handsome, great voices. Uh, I got a lot from my mom in here. (laughs) But he he asked, where can you find a list of them in case they go by quickly, in case you want to link to them? Our amazing engineer, Brett Rader, among many other things, helps compile all that in the descriptions of the episodes on iTunes and SoundCloud and elsewhere. So you can find them there. Yeah, SoundCloud and the Cracked, when when they're featured on the Cracked homepage, if you click through to that page, that will also have the links. I think the only way you don't have the links is if you use Stitcher or just directly download it through an app. Then you actually have to listen to our annoying voices and write it down. So we strongly suggest listen to it however you want. And then if you care about the related readings, check out the episode landing page and they're all there for you. 
For sure, yeah. And also, and you might have missed them because they're usually below when the we list the segment time codes and things like that first. So just scroll down if you haven't, and that's where they are. Yeah. I got one from Alan Cook, or Coke, or Koch, depending on how you pronounce K-O-C-H. Mm. Hi, guys. Love the new podcast. I like that one. That really made me think. No, uh, <laughs> that's it. And I'm enjoying reading Vonnegut books. Man, why'd I pick this one? No, just kidding, Alan. Alan gets to a great point, which is that in our Mother Night episode, we struggled to find a term for people who like Kurt Vonnegut and said that in the episode, one of us suggested Kurt Vonne friends. Yeah. And uh, Alan suggests Von Ami. Yeah. And why I pulled this out is I'll find her name later, too, probably in this list. That is not the only person to independently suggest that fans of the show be called Von Ami. That's amazing. A play on mon ami, I guess, the French phrase for my friend. Yeah, I don't speak French, so I, I, I never would have thought of it. Sacre bleu! <laughs> that means you don't speak French? I can't believe it. Since you don't know French, you believe me. So, yeah, I thought we settled on uh, parentheses juniors, or comma juniors. <laughs> the comma juniors. But you don't, you don't like that. Yeah. <laughs> Megan Delia Brown, longtime Vana friend, our first person, I think, to like the Facebook page for this podcast. I was like, you are the first junior. And then <laughs> oh, we immediately right. yeah. abandoned that term. Do you like Vana friends? Hi, I want Megan. us to officially settle this on the air as my point. I, I think part of why I like Vana friends is my brain, my brain, my brain, what's my brain? <laughs> uh, my brain was primed to accept that because I don't know if everybody knows this, but the original, original working title for the show was Kurt Vana friends until Michael very wisely right. realized that Kurt Vana guys is so much better. It's just way better. <laughs> I don't know about that. See, because I live with like a little twinge of regret because one person wrote and was like, and look, I have a defense, which is that it's accurate. We're both guys. We didn't oh. make this podcast to exclude female perspectives on Vonnegut. Uh, we just don't have any guests because it's the format of the show. There's only two of us. We happen to be guys. Yeah. But I was purely thinking like Vonnegut is a closer pun fit. It yeah. is true that it's gender exclusive. And yeah. I was like, because I've been kind of kicking around the idea of trying to get you to do this with Stephen King after we're done with this whole run. Oh, and I, I was like, yeah. the Kingsman is such a good, but again, I don't want it to be. <laughs> gotta have a dick. Want to read the book? Gotta have a dick. Like that's not what I'm trying to imply at all. But so Boys maybe we'll, only. we'll yeah. stick with Vana Friends. Maybe. Yeah. Well, also, if we name the show Vana Friends, I feel like then we would end up making the fans Kurt Vana guys, and we would be uh-huh. like, you know, the way in American vernacular, you'll throw you guys at a group of any gender of people. Okay, but so it's not like perfect. You know? I just thought as an insight into the brainstorming process, people would like yeah. to hear. Like if we were to. To try to brainstorm this what do you have vana pals vana pals is pretty good kurt cetras <laughs> this is off the top of my head they're not great <laughs> help me out here an army of von Ooh, that's really good that's do we know fun. his middle that's name thing. i don't know if he has one actually the middle names because <laughs> i think i'm gonna i'm if you hear me furiously typing as far as I know, he doesn't have a middle name. The Gut Checkers. Oh, Gut Checkers. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so maybe we'll run a poll on that. I don't know. We need to do more Twitter polls. Someone also suggested doing a Twitter poll, which we should do regularly. Oh, yeah. Uh, with every book. I really do want to do this. To determine the pronunciation of particular words, Alex. <laughs> oh, that'd be a good idea. Yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. Not before. I want to record the episode, hear what we naturally decided to call Kazak or Kazak. Right. Then on Twitter, poll, what do the people actually call it? Like yeah. a text, a tweet, and vote. 
And as one, the people rise up and say it's Kazakh. Like, just yeah. as everyone, you know, uh, 100%. Yeah. We got a very pointed email saying it's Kazakh, like Kazakhstan. Oh. But I, I don't... I, I but think again, I pronounced that country differently. Or, I, or, or I'm saying the country <laughs> wrong. But also, why? There's no evidence to support... Like, yeah, this person was very authoritatively like, no, it's the first part of the word Kazakhstan. And I'm like, why? It doesn't have to be at all. Yeah, there's no reason. It yeah. could be the end of the word Stan Kazakh because it's totally yeah. made up, dude. Yeah, unless you are a Rumford yourself, you have no idea. Jeez. None. His canon Neither is just lousy with Rumfords. Yeah, really. Rumford may be the most common Vonnegut word. <laughs> like, well, because I'm halfway through Slaughterhouse-Five, I didn't realize there's like three Rumfords in that. Yeah, they're, they're all freaking over. everywhere. Yeah. yeah. All right, what you got? Got one here. This is sort of a related reading from Ivana Friend, or Vana me. This Matt Cox suggests that he was talking about Cat's Cradle and how, specifically in the book, Americans want to be liked wherever they go as a theme. And he says that A Small Place by Jamaica Kincaid is a work of Caribbean literature that really touches on that. It's really cool. So yes. recommended from Matt. I've never read it. I have not. I also hear it's good, so we'll put that in the recommended reading list and not say more about it without knowing what the fuck we're talking about. Yeah. Real quick correction corner from Adam Elk Barnett, fellow gut checker. I said that both Mr. Show and SNL had an androgynous character named Pat. I realized this mistake shortly after the episode, which is basically what I want nerd credit for. Uh But Adam correctly pointed out a correction. The character on Mr. Show is actually called Pit Pat, the pansexual spokes thing. (laughs) So it's not androgynous as much as it is all sexes. And also it's not just Pat, it's Pit Pat. Wow. So completely night and day different sketches. (laughs) In other words. (laughs) That's also such a feeling of you record something on a podcast and you and you realize shortly after, oh, wrong. I was wrong on that fact. And it was so densely in other stuff that how would we ever edit it out? Especially because well, you're always like, I mentioned <laughs> that because I love Mr. Show. And now other people who love Mr. Show will think I don't love it because I said the wrong thing. You know that you feeling? You betrayed yeah. Bob and David. Yeah. One of my saddest moments as a comedian was when we released the video where I just egregiously make fun of Steve Buscemi's face. And everyone's like, man, I've followed you for years. I just didn't know you hated Steve Buscemi. It's hard for me to reconcile because he's such a fine actor. And I'm like, no, I love him. Why would I do the video unless I love him? That's the point. (laughs) Emily B., this is a good one, also tells us that a recent list of the most shoplifted books, four of them, Vonnegut made... Four Vonnegut's made. The, the, yeah. I'm saying this on wrongly. A sh- on a shelf of what? 30 books? Like, that's amazing. How many books? Yeah. yeah. The most stolen books. <laughs> Four of them are Vonnegut's, <laughs> which is dope. And there's a Hakuri Murakami. I highly recommend. We'll link this related reading. The Wind-Up Bird Chronicle. Same. Double recommend. Yeah? Fantastic. If, if you can handle true magical realism. Yeah. Which, oh, this is, okay. We'll have to talk off mic about magical realism sometime because... I didn't know you were into it. Yeah, I don't know if I'm necessarily into it, but I he and just that part. well he he and Marquez and a few other times have come up to it. It's great. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm completely paraphrasing, but the book has things like, and this totally is fascinating to me as someone who can't stand vagueness, and I just had to let go of that part of myself to like accept the book on its terms. <laughs> but like, it'll be things like there's like a a girl who is alone and wants to be somewhere else, and she's naked in the moonlight and it'll yeah. say a sentence like, and she wanted to be in this other room. And then she was because when a girl dances naked in the moonlight, anything can happen. And you're like, 
okay, I don't know what that meant, but now the character has teleported to a different location. Right. You're not saying she has magic powers. The world's very mundane. Just magic things happen totally based on, in a way, yeah. very vonnegut Like when Vonnegut comes in and says, I'm in Breakfast of Champions and my dick is nine miles long. <laughs> so, yeah, even more related than I thought. Great book. I think it, despite it being very long and dense and often magical, I think it's a good entry point into the rest of Murakami. I've read a lot of him and really enjoyed it. And he's very Western while still being authentic to who he is and where he's from. And uh, I think he is, because I do think in the broadest sense, there is something that exists that is an Eastern mindset or way of thinking. And his yeah. books give me an insight into a way a mind works that I don't get from American literature. Yeah. It doesn't feel totally westernized to me, I guess, is my point. When I read them, I still feel definitely like I'm like being steeped in a new culture or yeah. even, like even just a new brain, uh, the way a brain works. Right, for sure. Because even regardless of whether anything can truly be Western or Eastern or representative of that, sure. he's such a specific viewpoint that is really nice to kind of live in and spend time in. Yeah, I've only read that and one other one whose name escapes me. So <laughs> let's dig into the old mailbag. What you got, Alex? Well, I one thing before we get off of that oh, shelf sorry. of Go stolen books, yeah. the four stolen ones are Cat's Cradle, Breakfast of Champions, Slaughterhouse-Five, and Bluebeard. What? Bluebeard, yeah, what are you doing a surprise. in Yeah, surprise, yeah. Everybody's stealing a relatively minor work, <laughs> as people rate it. Yeah. Amazing. Jailbird didn't make the list somehow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I actually, I haven't read Bluebeard, so I'm looking forward to that one. No, me neither. Yeah. I only know that the cover wow. sure makes it look like testicles. Yep. <laughs> that's, all. that's probably why it's so stolen. I also can't believe Steal This Book, the book, didn't make it to the list of most stolen books. Complete yeah. and utter failure as a novelty book. <laughs> Sam Wagner says, love the podcast. <laughs> Moving on. No, I just thought this was a really funny quick one. Notice that in Harrison Bergeron, the short from Welcome to the Monkey House, yeah. Kurt never mentions any handicaps on Hazel. I think that we can possibly, it's possible to then deduce conclusively Hazel is the worst human being alive on the face of the planet. <laughs> That's I'm paraphrasing oh, Sam, but that's what I took it to mean. That's an amazing fan theory. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hazel is this and maybe that would Poor be why Hazel. Harrison hates the system. But I guess that can't work because they don't have any contact with their birth parents, right? Well it's isn't it a society where it doesn't emphasize a family connection, but they'd still like But you're still at some raised point, right? by your parents. Yeah. It seemed implied, yeah. And that would make total sense as a thing where a lack of handicaps is sort of the greatest <laughs> insult your society can give you. Right. It's and like, your parents No, models, you're the bottom line. That's it. <laughs> and your parents a living model of she's the only person on earth who you could look at and be like, That's what someone would look like with no handicaps. Yeah. Maybe I should try that. It makes and total sense, yeah. That's a phenomenal Good theory. theory. Yeah. <laughs> Andrea Doherty said on Facebook, in case you missed it, there's a made-for-TV movie and an independent film based on Harrison Bergeron. Made-for-TV movie was a 95 movie starring Sean Astin. And then the independent film is called 2081. It was released in 2009. She believes both of them are available in their entirety on YouTube. And uh, in the run-up to that episode, I did not track down 
any of those adaptations, partly because there are a ton of them. If you try to do every adaptation drawing on Monkey House, because that's mm-hmm. a huge array of things. But that might be something to get to as like a future thing. I was also surprised to find out how many there were that I just wanted to aware of. And I guess it makes sense because, I mean, if you include made for TV, we're constantly just churning out material and a lot of it is lost to time. Yeah. So uh, very similar. Thanks to Ron Dobis or Doby, who writes, I listened to the Monkey House podcast last night and was surprised you didn't mention the PBS American Playhouse version of Who Am I This Time with Christopher Walken as the guy, as the Who Am I This Time guy and Susan Sarandon as the main character lady who wins him over, which is a very interesting cast for that. Yeah. I think a story I didn't like that much. <laughs> and I think I'll probably get to a message later by someone who really, really did like it. It's their favorite short story or in their top five. They said, huh. do you want to do that message next to where they love the story? Seems well, I can paraphrase, but I don't have their name because I'm picking giant letters out of this huge burlap mail sack at random, Alex. <laughs> the mail bag. Why are you breaking the illusion? <laughs> but just because the important thing's the idea, their point was, and I would love us to speak on this, we are way obviously both heavily favoring the sci-fi concepts. And oh, this was a message from someone not just who is like, Sci-fi is all well and good, but why don't you give equal weight to the other stories? They were saying, I'm someone who thinks sci-fi is dumb and cheesy, and sci-fi premises are like (laughs) simple setup punchline, I don't care. The deeply moving stories are the stories like Adam, Hyannisport story, you know, the ones, the names of which I forget because they're not as dope as the Euphio question. (laughs) But but this person disagreed very much and was like, I think you do a disservice to the like really heart and soul Americana ones. And I, uh, I'll take that criticism. I don't mean to do a disservice, but I don't know how to change that. I don't like them as much. A few things. One, I'm, that's interesting to me that somebody is super into Vonnegut and primarily just wants the Americana stuff. Right. Because he does that perfectly well and sometimes even very well. But it's like, like you mentioned Stephen King before, it would be like being into Stephen King and not liking horror. Like it would really limit your Stephen like, King You really options. like Stand By Me. And, right. Yeah. And, and like kind Couple of things Dark Tower because it's more fantasy. The girl you know? who loved Tom Gordon squeaks by because right. there's no supernatural. There'd be a couple things you could pull and you could be like, on writing is amazing. And it like, would limit they your are. You don't like it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What's wrong with you? <laughs> right. And also I think part of why I like Bradbury so much is he... I think is better at that particular thing she likes and is looking for in Vonnegut. Like Bradbury mm-hmm. can do that a little more effectively. And like there's stuff like Dandelion Wine where it's pretty much just here's Ohio, here we are. There's not that fantastical. Oh, element. they called out Where I Live as one of their favorite stories. And this oh, is, no, that I'm that so excited that there's so many different kinds of people in the world. Yeah. But I can't ever understand why you would like that more than the barnhouse effect or something. Right. <laughs> that won't ever make sense to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's surprising. And I get it too. Like, I just think we yeah. should wear our biases on our sleeves. That's all. <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely a big lover of grounded, dramatic fiction, but I'll always have a soft spot for genre. Sci-fi, Western horror. Yeah. Fantasy. I love genre. Yeah, and I also think it's that thing that Isaac Asimov would talk about a lot, where science fiction can be applied to every existing genre. Like, it's not necessarily its own thing. It's often, this is a sci-fi romance, this is a sci-fi western, this is yeah. a sci-fi anything else. Yeah. God, man, I'm, I'm just scrolling through and there's so much good stuff. I love our gut checkers. 
Yeah, I've latched on to that one. <laughs> you're the gut checker. Well, I just well, mean, especially for corrections, it's really like here that's comes a gut true. checker. But the amount of cool things to check out are unparalleled. Savannah Schneider writes, speaking of cool things to check out about the podcast Limetown, which I was turned on to by Benjilia Five Second Films. I think I've told you about it just in conversation before. Yeah, I haven't gotten to hear it yet. Oh, it's freaking awesome. Yeah. So that's a little. That's a horror sci-fi miniseries podcast radio show in the style of serial. So as if someone was doing an investigative report, but then there start to be like zombies and psychic powers and stuff. It's, uh, you know, like when Orson Welles did War of the Worlds sort of thing. Yeah. It's really well done. Oh, cool. And, and there's a bunch of Vonnegut references in it, as Savannah graciously pointed oh. out. So I'm allowed to talk about it on the podcast. Yeah. That's yeah. A listen idea. to Limetown. Have you ever heard Welcome to Night Vale? Yes. The tone is similar. And I think the reason I fell off Welcome to Night Vale, Limetown has a story that wraps up that's oh, about the length yeah. of listening to guess i like a movie and uh welcome to the night Vale. i certainly listened to it for a long time but then was just like the tone perpetuates forever and eventually there's enough episodes tonight much yeah, like how yeah, people yeah. will tire of this show <laughs> very <laughs> nah, very soon not us man we got <laughs> it <laughs> oh boy there's also a uh, soren paul budge he said that there is a playlist on YouTube of demos from the Ashman Mencken musical adaptation of God Bless You, Mr. Rosewater. They made a musical out of it. So that's great. You can go find that now if you want. There also is going to be a cast recording of the revival they did in New York at some point. But till then, there's some uh, versions of songs. Isn't yeah. that exciting? Speaking back to Who Am I This Time, another Who Am I This Time fan, Gomyo Kevin Seperic, Seperich, don't you hate saying the names? <laughs> Love saying the names, hate saying I'm wrong. But Gomyo says, I think you guys missed the point of Who Am I This Time. Yes, I just admitted that. You don't have to rub it in my face. <laughs> Hypothetical guy I'm these, speaking as. <laughs> these live commenters yeah. are mean, man. Who Am I This Time is about a guy who's so repressed that he, he can only express himself through acting. He finds a woman who can relate to him on that level. That's what true love is, finding a partner you can relate to on whatever level. Far from quaint, it's a great love story in my top five short stories. So I'm conflating a few commenters. This is the person who called it out as one of their top five. But that made me appreciate it on a different level. I'll give you that point for sure. Yeah, yeah. I liked that. Yeah, the idea just he lacks any actual active role in the community. And so... He literally has roles instead. <laughs> so, yeah, but I, I think I included Who Am I This Time in my monkey house list. Maybe I deleted it. Did you keep it or cut it? We did I, idealized remixes of the table of contents. I think I might have cut it. Yeah. I might have cut it, too. Yeah. Well, if you, want, if you folks <sighs> want to go to facebook.com slash guys, you can find Michael and I posted our ideal curated versions of what's in Welcome to the Monkey House, and you can check them out. And you can be, you know, mad or not. You can you know, be whatever. as ornery as you want. We yeah. don't really care. It's okay. We love it. <laughs> Take your best shot. Yeah. Oh, there's one here from J.H. Montgomery. And he says that he sees a parallel between Kurt Vonnegut and Jack Kirby. Uh, that they both served in World War II. Mm. They both came out worse for the wear. They both wanted to create very different forms of art and innovate in their fields. And they also used a lot of imagery that ended up being psychedelic in its own way, which is interesting. And I think they pointed out in the full length of that comment also, there are even some plot structure similarities. Like they both favored ragtag team of guys. It's very easy to imagine that both of them were sort of using their war buddies in that experience and translating that into many different milieus. But like in yeah. one case, well, what if they were all superheroes in space? And in the other case, what if they were 
also in space, but not superheroes. <laughs> Sirens or die! Um, I want to shout yeah. out Patrick D. Ryle, just as the person who suggested that we run Twitter polls on the proper pronunciation of Vonnegut words. So that's just credit where credit is due. Thank you, Patrick. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we talked about earlier. Patrick, if I remember right, Patrick also found, we posted it on social, but there's an old Superman comic where there's a cameo from a Mm -hmm. version of Kurt Vonnegut. It's his, they call him Wade Halibut Jr. And he wrote a book called The Mermaids of Icarus, but he (sighs) is being interviewed on TV and Clark Kent's working up the courage to talk to him. I'm not going to repeat my comment that I made on Facebook, but Sirens of Titan makes sense conceptually as a title. The Mermaids of Icarus does not make sense on any level, <laughs> unless Icarus is the name of a planet. Maybe that's yeah. what they were going for. Or there's a sun underwater. Yeah. You know? <laughs> uh, Lennon Lore says, hey guys, I wanted to post some observations about the short story DP. And I pulled this out because that was certainly hit me the hardest emotionally of all the stories in Monkey House. And Lennon says it similarly affected them as well. Brought him to tears. That's our goal. (laughs) Score one in the tear jar. But Lennon's were tears of hope. Why? Why, you ask? Why? Maybe some insight as a former army infantryman slash current history teacher can clear some things up. One, DP stands for displaced persons. So Mm. I was Googling, because I did try. I Googled like army acronyms DP, and I eventually found a list that said it's something that meant like development and perfection, or like there's an acronym that means a a period when you're training. But this person's almost certainly right that Vonnegut intended it to mean displaced persons, a term soldiers use for war orphans and refugees. Two, the Germans call Carl Joe Lewis because it's the only black guy they know. Well, we covered that. Good point. (laughs) But they know Joe Lewis because he specifically beat Schmeling, a German, in 1938, successfully defending his title. So Joe, Joe Lewis would lose that title in 1949 and never get it back. This is important to the story because one of the Germans asks Carl if he's going to win the title back. This indicates that the story takes place after 1949. Oh, there you I, go. This is great cracked stuff, yeah. isn't it? Wow. So, because of the math, we know that the American soldiers are very likely not headed into combat, but are performing military maneuvers or withdrawing from combat. So, it's perfectly possible to believe that the sergeant will be able to safely complete his tour of duty, fulfill his promise, and adopt Carl. So, it's only my, this is me not quoting anymore, it's my morbidity. <laughs> <laughs> that chooses to believe that everyone in the story dies. You don't have wow. to believe that. Yeah, that really... Cause it that can story, be a happy story. When that story came out in 1953, so it was probably present day to that year. It was like, yeah. this is when this happened. And uh, wow. Yeah, so, it gives it a different meaning, I suppose. Carl's doing fine. Yeah. Not Walking Dead Carl, but DP <laughs> Carl's doing all right. Fishing around the old mailbag. Yeah. TJ Reiser says... Hey, you guys are both Vonnegut fans and Harry Potter fans. The climactic wizard chess scene at the end of the first Harry Potter book is awfully similar to all the king's horses from Welcome to the Monkey House. Are they both referencing a literary trope I'm not aware of? No, actually... I think it's just those two. Vonnegut (laughs) stole that story from Harry Potter. That's what I wanted to point out that I don't think a lot of people know. Um, You see... Kurt Vonnegut has become unstuck in time. I was going to ask. Pilgriming around. So it goes. See, Vonnegut, he says he was in Dresden and he read a copy of Harry Potter. (laughs) And he was like, I like that chess scene. But also TJ points out, I believe that a knight sacrifice is the winning move in both games of chess. So it may very well be intentional in Harry Potter. That could be. Yeah, I I would. But human sized chess pieces aren't that weird. Like... 
They were yeah. also in The Prisoner. Yeah, it makes sense as a, a trope thing. I've seen human chess pieces and other things as well. Yeah. yeah. Harry Potter doesn't strike me as having a lot of Vonnegut touchstones, so it would be neat to find out that, oh, JK is actually a fan and pulling from it. Yeah. she's a Von- She was a Vonna friend all along. <laughs> all along. Oh, shit, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Introducing a segment called what, Alex? Seriously? Shit. What? Emergency situation. This segment's called Emergency Situation. Alex, (laughs) someone tweeted at us mentioning that there is an episode of Futurama that bore a strong resemblance to one of the episodes we covered. Do you recall this? Do you recall what you replied? I think I said that I haven't seen it, because I haven't. You said that you hadn't seen the Emmy Award winning (laughs) Futurama episode Godfellas. (laughs) Oh boy. What? Here we go. How is that possible? That's what I want to understand, because it's not just one of the greatest shows of all time. That's one of the finest episodes of one of the greatest shows of all time. You know, Twitter is breaking this country apart. Oh it my is God. pulling apart friendships. It is. Excuses, excuses. <laughs> yeah, I went, I went and Googled the plot summary and it's such a sirens thing. I, I need to see it. And Godfellas does have amazingly wry, humorous lines that would be so at home in a Vonnegut book. <laughs> like, so good. Uh, Bender's talking to God and says, so do you know everything I'm going to do before I do it? What if I do something else? I don't know that then. <laughs> <laughs> it's good check it oh, out that's amazing <laughs> yeah and there are there are there's some vonnegut vibe in there for sure that's such an underrated show completely i yeah. feel like i partly haven't seen enough of it because it was it just isn't sung to the high heavens mm. all the time david x nay s cohen is my personal idol oh wow yeah oh wow that's great because he's right here <laughs> He was in the bag that would the whole be time. Dope. He was in the mail. <laughs> he was trapped in the mailbag. We also have a tip from Derek Robot Pants on Twitter, who says that there's finally a, show- a fake one. I'm glad. <laughs> I thought we weren't going to get any crazy fake names. Yeah, he is a bot, and he mm. says no. Uh, Derek says there's a show called Dimension X where they adapt all kinds of 1950s sci-fi short stories, and they have an episode where they do report on the Barnhouse Effect. So you can hear an old-time radio show kind of version of Barnhouse Effect. I don't think it's an old-time awesome. show, but. Seems neat. But it's in the style of a radio show, yeah. Speaking of the finest adaptations of Vonnegut work, Matthew Abel, one of our Twitter followers, I just encourage you to go. So far, he's done two sort of doodles or portraits yeah. in honor of the Vonnegut and the cast. And I, and I <laughs> hope, Matthew, that you'll continue to do a drawing for each book or as many as you can, because I'm just looking at a tremendous marker drawing of uh, Fred Rosewater. <laughs> reading his family history with a big smile on his face while a noose hangs in the background in his garage. Yeah, and yeah. very close to his head. It's Love like it. he's going to leap into it in a At second. At any moment. And yeah. it looks a lot like a Vonnegut line drawing, if I'm going to be honest. Like, it's yeah. roughly the level of art skill that Kurt Vonnegut himself had. <laughs> Love it, Matt. Thank you. That's also another Twitter thing. This is from Ross Hazeman. He points out that there's a quote from a book called War by Sebastian Younger. That is along the lines of that idea of a missile being shooting three college tuitions at someone or a drone missile. Because I think someone else who had been in the military messaged us about that feeling of shooting a missile at someone that could pay for so many other things. Right. And uh, did you get the quote? I think I actually saved the quote here. Yeah, the quote, it's a quote along those lines, but from whom? You got it up? Yeah. The Sebastian Younger quote is... Each javelin round costs $80,000, and the idea that it's fired by a guy who doesn't make that in a year at a guy who doesn't make that in a lifetime is somehow so outrageous it almost makes the war seem winnable. 
Good. End quote. Good stuff. Good quote. I like it. Good stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. Jamie Simfer writes with another related reading, because I mentioned The Giver by Lois Lowry. Yeah. Great book. While we're at it, I'll mention my favorite Lowry, Maniac McGee, about an orphan boy who runs real fast and solves racism in a southern town. He's good at untying knots. Those are all the plot points. Oh, he lives in the elephant cage at the zoo. Those are all the plot points. It's delightful, like Lois Lowry's books are. But Jamie points out that uh, my interpretation of The Giver's ending as being incredibly depressing is also in question because there's a whole series, I guess, of additional books that build out that universe, which I didn't know, especially, or maybe it's only this one and I'm lying, but they only mention Gathering Blue. Gathering Blue is a different society, but there are references to, much like in the Vonnegut universe, it seems to take place in the same universe as The Giver and Mm. in in a different part of the world while the same society is going on. And there are even references to the protagonist oblique references to the protagonist from the giver and things that have happened so my interpretation that they all die at the end is not necessarily borne out by the extended universe so there a lot of people saving me from my own projection (laughs) of my deep depression onto books i think i think i remember seeing that message and googling it a bit and it looks like there are a couple giver sequels but it it was a long time before laos lowry wrote any and she also said in some interviews before that that she wouldn't be writing any sequels to it and so it's 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 retcon anyway yeah and then later she gave it some interviews where she said yeah i wish i hadn't said that before because then i thought of some other things that would be good sequels or tangential things like don't box yourself in you know yeah (laughs) it's great (laughs) now it seems like i'm a sellout when really i actually just thought Ten years later, I thought of another good story right, just, in that universe. Yeah, it came to me. Yeah, there's uh, three other books after it called Gathering Blue, Messenger, and Sun, but they were all written years afterward. That's cool, just, though. I mean, I swear I know they're aimed at young adults, but so many Lowry books made such a deep impression on me. I feel like I actually owe it to myself to go back and fill in the holes on her. <laughs> holes. Yeah. Another Lowry book. No, that was no? Uh, Lewis. Oh, Sacker. you're right. You're yeah. right. Sorry. Yeah. I guess same subgenre of fiction. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, she's just great. I just love her. That's all. Yeah. Maniac McGee is super good. <laughs> yeah. And the movie of the giver. Eh, not, not really great. Don't recommend it. Read the book. Now I'm second guessing myself. Brett, can you look up Maniac McGee? Because now I want to know if it's by Lois Lowry or Lewis Sackar. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, no. Maniac McGee, a great book by by Jerry Spinelli. By Jerry Spinelli. Jerry Spinelli. Great book by Jerry Spinelli. I read it. Lois's pen name. Clearly read it right after or before The Giver. Then did a lot of hashish. (laughs) So, yeah, this is why we check things. So, I'll also recommend Maniac McGee, an unrelated book, but Lois Lowry's great. This is society's fault because there are only like 15 books total aimed at about five years of being a person. You there's know what this, I mean? Okay, there's so this they weird... all blend together. It's all like Gary Paulson and Lois Lowry and totally. all these people all just mash into one author because for five and years of your life, that was what you had, you know? For me, even Roald Dahl's some of like half of his canon yeah. fits in there. Like, yeah, there's a schmear of books that only matter <laughs> when you're early to late middle school. Yeah. And they may as well all have been written by Lois Lowry. <laughs> yeah, <why not? laughs> well, my apologies to all the authors involved. I like your books. <laughs> <laughs> Liam Dodd also votes for Vonami, but spells it differently. So I feel like they need to have a fist fight with the other person who suggested Vonami. <laughs> somebody else, I can't find who, but somebody suggested fans could be Vana Folks. Vana Folks. I like Folks. I'm way into it. Vana Folks. Yeah. Mike Ping says, have you guys posted your notes on the books anywhere yet? I don't know what leads you to believe we take notes based on (laughs) listening to the podcast. (laughs) 
<laughs> I just misattributed five or six books to different people. <laughs> I do not take notes, Mike Ping. No notes. On Instagram, at T. Coley 137 said, Kurt correctly wrote that one side of Mercury faces the sun. It's called tidal locking. Because in our Sirens of Titan episode, we were talking about, oh, does Mercury actually work like yeah, that? Yeah, I just didn't liberties? know if Mercury is tidally locked. It turns out it is. So that's Neat. that's a thing. I wonder, yeah. did Kurt know that from the store of current science knowledge, or did he guess correctly? My guess That'd is cool that he know. looked it up and found out because it seems like <laughs> that's it just I seems do. like a surprising thing to have guessed, you know, sure. I, I or to have made up and then well, it's like, right, you know. Is the moon tidally locked? I feel like I always see the same face of the moon, but I could be moon racist. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, no, dude, there's like 800 different moons. They're all I, different. Yeah, I believe it is time. It is a yes. It is yeah. a yes. And the dark Jerry side Spinelli side. wrote Maniac. <laughs> Thank you. So the dark, the dark side of the moon will always be dark. That's interesting. Yeah. So he could have lifted it from the right. moon. Yeah. Do they say it's always going to be dark? I don't remember <laughs> that lyric. Abby Michalowski yeah. drew a uh, very uh, luscious <laughs> <laughs> pornographic no nippled drawing of the nude sirens of titan yeah that i thought was showed a lot a lot of talent and uh made me feel confused and strange inside <laughs> made me want to travel into outer space seeking these women and also jay devers jr on twitter sent us an embroidery they did of kurt's face and then we are what we pretend to be so we must be careful about what we pretend to be we talked about those other drawings you guys have a lot of amazing that's art. that's what i'm getting it's at really there's cool. great arts and crafts going on in the groups yeah. not just this drawing of three naked ladies that i'm staring at as we continue <laughs> 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 cannot look away from <laughs> Oh, also, Abby specifically sent it in a message rather than posting it because they didn't want their parents to see it. So, Abby, if your parents are listening, please make sure to check that out. Yeah. We'll post that. We'll forward that. They don't know podcasts are a thing. Come on. All right. I'm going to do two more quick ones, if that's all right, because I I skimmed through the Vana guys. Kurt Vonneguys at gmail.com, by the way. Yeah. Uh, email feed. And there were two emails I wanted to surface. One is just another related reading recommendation that we will link to. From Stan from Slovakia writes, I still get a thrill when a fan is somehow from geographically far away. Yeah. Even though it doesn't matter, <laughs> the internet means it doesn't matter. That's right. no big deal. But I'm no, like, Slovakia, right. wow. Yeah, there's someone from the Czech Republic who's been <laughs> yeah. excited about cracked Facebook live streams. I'm right. stoked like, every time. Slovakia, they, they drive in reverse there, right? Um, I was surprised you didn't mention Cordwainer Smith in conjunction with the Sirens of Titan. A lot of his short stories deal with similar themes, his most famous one being Alpha Ralpha Boulevard. The story takes place 14,000 years in the future where the all-powerful instrumentality of mankind has in its overprotectiveness driven all purpose out of human life. So very much like Player Piano and uh, Alphaville, if you've seen that film. Or, uh, no, it's fine. Goddard. It's fine. I'm a film nerd. Don't worry about it. (laughs) But uh, I actually don't know Cordwainer Smith and haven't read it. But scanning through the email, I'm not going to read the whole email out loud, but it did sound interesting and similar. And I love Sirens. So if you love Sirens, Cordwainer Smith. Great. (laughs) See, I I love finding about another classic sci-fi short story author that I can dig into. It's awesome. Really exciting. And then last from me, Jerry Lee Atwood writes with a funny Vonnegut tale. And I'm going to read it rapid fire in its entirety. Sure. Then we'll all have a hearty laugh and then move on. (laughs) (laughs) Jerry writes, about 15 years ago, I worked at a coffee shop here in Indianapolis. 
I usually worked the late afternoon, early evening shift. The shop normally closed around 7, but on some evenings the shop would host singer-songwriters and stay open late. These performances were often poorly promoted. Very few people would attend. On one such evening, Kurt Vonnegut was in town for an exhibit of his original drawings at the Indianapolis Art Center, just a couple of miles from the coffee shop. I was scheduled to work and tried to avail to find someone to cover my shift so that I could attend. Reluctant and heartbroken, I went to work. Around 5 p.m., the singer-songwriter, a college student from Ohio, pulled into the parking lot. I had a brilliant plan. The young man entered the shop and I said, here's the deal. You could play this show and I have to be honest, no one comes to these things or I can close up early and we can go meet Kurt Vonnegut right now. Once in a lifetime opportunity. <laughs> he said, who? Oh. And the rest of the story is he was the only person in the coffee shop watching this person just strum an acoustic guitar to an empty coffee shop. Yeah. With Kurt Vonnegut down the street. That's killer. That's oh. rough for me. And I guess the guy specifically played House of the Rising Sun by the Animals. Yeah, he was. Which is also by somebody else, I think. Right. But (laughs) just saying, that would be tough for me. I don't get starstruck a lot, but it would be like if I found out Harlan Ellison was using our restroom while we recorded this, but now he's gone and dead. You know, it's it's no good. (laughs) Mine like that is I'm way into George Saunders, and I started reading him shortly after I finished college, and I went to college at Syracuse where he teaches so I oh. could have tracked him down at any time over not. like a four-year period. Yeah. And then after I left school and do not get back to central New York very often. I knew someone who worked nothing. at like a neurosciences lab yeah. and I went to pick them up and they were like, the whole staff was eating lunch Yeah, and uh, everyone was very abuzz. And I was like, what's so exciting? And they were like, John Cleese just had lunch with us because <gasps> he knows the head of this institute. And the, the guy was like, well, if you're here for lunch, the staff will get a kick. Why don't we just have lunch in the cafeteria? So we all just fucking had lunch with John Cleese and he just left. <sighs> Terrible. Awful. Yeah, real kick to the bluebeards. <laughs> <laughs> That's my new favorite slang out of this. <laughs> nice. Let's go into one more segment called Meet Space. Meet Space. <laughs> Meet in space that's after the pigs have died <laughs> right they're just, just considered me floating <laughs> a derelict ship link hogthrob's body yeah it's drifted around the i'm trying to make it horrific it's they not try to eat it it tastes like felt this meat is awful yeah <laughs> <laughs> this is a uh, one extra thing where we'll talk about places we've been and things we've seen and been given that are relevant to kurt and happened in real life that we can't link to Oh. Yeah. Yeah, because as soon as we came out with the podcast, all of our loved ones are like, you like Kurt Vonnegut, do you? Yeah, right. <laughs> so I recently was gifted a lovely collection called Kurt Vonnegut Drawings. I actually do highly recommend it. It is printed on paper stock <laughs> in China. The ISBN number is 978-1-58093. I Great think you should number. be able to find Great it. Great number. It's a collection of Kurt Vonnegut drawings. It's kind of a coffee table book. And the reason I like it is there's no filler. Like every goddamn page. Oh, look at that. Is a Kurt doodle. And oh. I did not know that he took it seriously, by which I mean... I know he doodles in the books and we all doodle in the margins, but he actually did art that he tried on. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he no, created yeah, visual art where he focused on the visual medium and created a series of drawings and had gallery shows and stuff, which I didn't even know about Kurt. Yeah. Like I assumed the drawings at his shows were things from his books and just collection, but no, he, he was into making art. So if you can't afford to go wherever it is, you can look <laughs> at it in the book. 
It's just called Kurt Vonnegut Drawings. It has a lovely introduction by Nanette Vonnegut. I'm assuming his a survivor I, of the Vonnegut family. Yeah, I think I think his third child. Okay. Yeah. There you go. And uh, speaking of going to see the stuff, I happen to be from around Chicago. I went there for the holidays. And then there is a museum called the National Veterans Art Museum in Irving Park, which is like far northwest end of Chicago. And they're doing through May 6th an exhibition of Kurt's visual art. And so you can see those kinds of drawings Ooh. in real life if you want to. Nice. It's not a massive museum. It's in the second story of a, a place there. But it's got a lot of really interesting stuff by other veterans. And then Kurt's there because, among other things, he's a veteran. And, yeah, it really jumped out to me how much art he did that is completely unrelated to, like, paying off some joke in Breakfast of Champions. Yeah. Or that he just did a lot of art pieces that were their own thing and his own thing he wanted to express. Yeah, I love yeah. it. And he has a, a really interesting sense of line, just how to... That's his focus. I mean, it's his, sometimes it's his whole thing, but it's... Yeah, it's and the, his art is cool. very, yeah, contoury, liney. Yeah. Like elaborate doodles. Doodles that have been made into something more than a doodle because you spent a little extra time on them. That's what they look like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I like them. They're good for a larf. And then... Uh, I'll tell you this, I legitimately tried to audition for that Sirens of Titan play, but by the time I called, they were already out of slots and they would only take people who like have a history with the repertory. Uh, I was like, can't I just say I like Sirens of Titan and play Unk? <laughs> but I, yeah, I miss doing plays and someone turned us yeah. on to there's going to be a local production of a stage adaptation of Sirens. And I was like, yeah, which is I'm pretty gonna, crazy. Up our alley. I'm not going like, to get this, but I'm going to audition just for fun. <laughs> but it was too late. Ugh, jerks. John Cleese had already left. <laughs> <laughs> And if oh. he doesn't get Rumford, I don't know, man. Cleese would be a good Rumford. He'd be a great Rumford. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that'd be really good. Actually, I think I could figure out an all Monty Python cast of Sirens <laughs> if I had to. At all Python production. Yeah. <laughs> Graham Chapman is B. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Terry Jones did so many of the women. That's true, Maybe yeah. it would be Terry. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's a terrible planet. <laughs> and I'm glad we're leaving. Right. <laughs> Just the whole book is what's all this then? Like yeah. all the time, but like fake sirens. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that worked on multiple levels. That was a good one, Michael. Oh, amazing. Thank you, Michael. You're welcome. <laughs> oh, and one last meat space thing. I also, when I was at home, I decided to road trip a little bit and went to Indianapolis. The Kurt Vonnegut Memorial Library is there. And they're going to open a new building in April, and it's going to be a whole new thing. But I got to see the current building, and I had a great experience with the people there and the tour there and seeing the things there. Shout out to Tyler and Chris at the library. And they've also helped us with finding some references for things in social media. And if you're a big Vonnegut fan, I highly recommend going because it's like... I don't know how else you could get that experience unless you went to some kind of Vonnegut convention. Like you're, you get sure. to be in a yeah, room with nothing but fans, you know, yeah, which is really neat. great. Like it's just people, everyone in the room will want to talk about or think fans. about Kurt. It's amazing. Yeah. Are we saying me space or meat space? Meat space. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. But that might be it. I uh, think so. I would love for people to tell us whether they liked this mini soda or if it was a waste of time. Yes. Because otherwise we'll go back to your regularly scheduled book by book program. Yeah. Well, we'll be doing that either way, but we were thinking we could continue to do these from time to time and that could be the way we bring up your amazing insights and thoughts and drawings and everything else. Actually fulfill on the book club concept. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Maybe every four or five books we'll do this and it'll be nice. Yeah. That'd be uh, a good rhythm. 
But yeah, in case you somehow don't know, our next one is Slaughterhouse Five. So get a reading. Five. And if you somehow didn't know, it's one of the few of which there is an excellent film version. Oh. So I would give you the added homework of if you haven't seen Slaughterhouse Five, also see the movie. See it, or just see the movie and listen to us talk about the book. You can do, look. You can do whatever you want with the podcast. Yeah, we don't care. You're, it's your oyster, you know. Yeah, but Slaughterhouse Five exists as a <laughs> film if you want to watch it. Yeah. <clears throat> Mailbag's empty, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll just put uh, that guy back into it. Yep. Uh, David X, goodbye. And so uh, goodbye to you folks, and we'll see you soon for Slaughterhouse Five. Thanks, gang. Vana gang. Oh, Vana gang. <laughs>